This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by not David Hughes. I'm joined by Christian Walsh, the original, the original host of the show. How are you getting on, Chris? I'm not too bad, thank you, mate. I thought I would let you host it. To be honest, I feel like my my time has passed. Uh, I don't want to be the <laughs> I don't want to be the source of the Kenny Dalglish in the stand while Roy Hodgson's managing. So I thought I would uh, I thought I'd graciously hand over to you um, and and just come along for the ride. So thank you for having me. Uh, we hope Dave is having a lovely time in the Lake District. Is that where he is? He hasn't even told yeah. me that. Yeah, he's in the Lake District. He's uh, he's taking a well addressed. He's taking a. Uh, Taking his partner and um, and the dog, and uh, yeah, I think he's having a nice uh, nice little time walking around the hills. So we hope he's uh, he's relaxed. Yeah, he deserves to be fair. Tune into Liverpool win the league every week. Um, <laughs> Get away from yeah, me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we usually let the the listeners know a week in a week in advance, but I didn't even know last week that Dave wasn't going to be here. In fact, I think it was maybe a last minute change of plans, wasn't it? But anyway, we'll. Um, Welcome to Super Sub this week. So, we're going to look back at Brighton. We're going to look back at Burnley. And we're going to look ahead to Arsenal this week. Um, with a few little, you know, side topics in between, I suppose. And then the final two matches of the season we'll tackle in the next episode, I assume. Um, but, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll get right into it. We'll start with Brighton. Um, thoughts on the game, Chris? Jamal? I loved it. I loved it. I, th- I thought it was a really enjoyable game. It's probably the game I've enjoyed the most since. I've got wrong. I agree with that. It just, yeah, it just there, there was no danger to it. Um, it was too very. I mean, obviously, one elite side and, and one side which has the potential to be quite good. I think um, going toe to toe. I really liked sort of the fluctuations in the game. I thought Liverpool obviously started fantastically, but. Credit to Brighton, they came back and and played some really nice football. I think in Graham Potter, they've got a really incessant manager there. He obviously did really well in Sweden with Ostersunds. Um, so I, I think it's 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 an interesting it was an interesting game, really enjoyable. And I think one of the main reasons I enjoyed it is because it was a little bit of a throwback to the to the club sides that we truly love. I feel and and that's the sides that you know press from the off and. You know, you've yeah. got players like Cater and and and, and for me, you know, absolutely harassing uh, centre backs and, and and holding midfielders with, with every touch of the of the ball. So it 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 was really enjoyable. Um, it was a good back and forth game. Uh, I think the XG will probably point to there was a, there was plenty of goal scoring opportunities and and just the, the perfect sort of way to, to to spend a Wednesday evening really it's the sort of thing that you do want to do when you've won the Premier League you, you just want to sort of enjoy the football and see little interesting glimpses of of a few things and, and that's what they offered us yeah I think you're right in terms of a, a bit of a throwback to the original club side um, because I think gradually as, as we've got on Liverpool have become more and more of a controlling team really and this felt a bit more high risk um, and I think that's the expected goals that I'm going to get to now is probably a bit of an insight into why high risk has has been um, replaced, I suppose, by control, by clock. But the expected goals on the day, quite surprisingly, I thought, was 1.9 to Liverpool and 2.4 to Brighton. 
So Brighton actually had a higher XG that's according to Statsbomb. Um yeah, just a little bit surprised. So that's roughly a two-all draw, really. I mean, there's not there's not a great deal in that, but it it, it just didn't feel like we were under the cost to, to that extent to, to two point four goals extent. Um, and even if you look at the shots, Liverpool had twenty, Brighton had twelve, Liverpool had eight on target, Brighton had two. So a little bit of an um, I thought that was a bit surprised. I'm not sure about yourself. Yeah, when I saw it, I, I was very surprised. I feel like it's a good little insight into why Liverpool's XG and XG points and that kind of thing doesn't necessarily correlate with how dominant they've been this season. Um, you know, people will point to the expected points and, and, and that kind of thing this season and say, well, actually, Man City are above Liverpool despite the, the big gap. Um, Chelsea aren't too far behind them. But what you saw there was that was, was the... The ultimate Liverpool go two 0 up, and then can see a couple of shots, a couple of chances because they take the foot off the off the gas a little bit. Whereas a Man City, for example, will put the foot on the throat and, and really sort of hammer that home. And that's what they did against Brighton, funnily enough, fairly in it uh, this week. But obviously after the the Liverpool game, um, so what you know, I think the XG probably doesn't necessarily reflect the dominance Liverpool had. Don't get me wrong, Brighton had chances, um, but it feels like they were all. Even though they were good chances, very rarely were they in a in a position of peril for Liverpool. Obviously, it goes to two one just on the stroke of half time, um, and that's a really high chance in terms of probability. Um, very well executed, but in terms of location wise, from Chossa, you know, it's pretty much slap bang in the sense of the goal, and and you would expect them to uh, to finish that. But from that point on, obviously Liverpool, I think they scored around the seventy fifth minute or whatnot. I don't feel Liverpool were under any necessarily sustained pressure, but because Liverpool have had that two-goal lead and they're not necessarily attacking, it just allows Brighton that opportunity to to come back into the game in terms of an XG. But it never felt like Liverpool were in, in any real peril. There was no Diogo Jose in the last minute at Molyneux, for example, um, that sort of miss. It was very at arm's length, accumulating expected goals through long-range shots and and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think maybe what was a little bit out of character and what, what maybe gave the XG a little bit of a boost was the Brighton shots that they did have were quite close to goal and they were quite central in the penalty box and that sort of thing, which Liverpool don't usually tend to afford those sort of chances. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that the, the, the first goal there. Uh, to be honest, the first goal we scored, I feel like I've seen exactly that goal months earlier in Bournemouth. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, I do. Uh, I can't remember who it was who, who, who received the ball for Bournemouth, but Naby Keita darts out of midfield exactly the same way. Wins the ball. And I think Mane scored that day. Um, Huddersfield, just one last season at Anfield. Yeah, 26 seconds or yeah. even earlier. Same yeah, case as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think when you're playing these teams, like when you think of Brighton and Bournemouth, maybe even Huddersfield as well. You think of those teams that are trying to play the right way, don't you? But they're not really good enough yet and they're not really, you know, they're just, they're making tracks basically, but they're, not, they're nowhere near at the level you need to be to play through Liverpool yet. And I think they've got, when it comes to build-up, they've got quite quite basic um, patterns of play that you can very easily predict. And I think Liverpool, by the looks of it, probably looked beforehand and thought, okay, if 
if Webster and, and Lewis dunk a, a man mark from the goalkeeper, who does the ball go to? It goes to you know, whoever it was, Davy Proper or something like that. I think Naby Casey just anticipated it really, really quickly because he, he initially darts from almost the centre circle. I think um, it's a really long run, and no, and it's no surprise that I think Proper it was has, has no idea Casey's anywhere near him, but because Casey knows exactly what's going to happen, it just works perfectly. They um, they actually do it very very early on, Brighton, and, and sort of signal their intention. I think it's within the first minute or two. Um, I think I think Sky flagged it as well. But they play out from the back and they do really well. They, they, they beat the press basically. Um, but it didn't detail Liverpool. They, they they just carried on and, and the second time they, they they pretty much caught them. So I think I think that's a big thing for Liverpool and I think that's why you see. I, I think the. Improvements. People say the Premier League is rubbish, and, and they try and use that to, to, to distract against Liverpool and, and their achievement this season. I think what you're actually finding is that there are probably more teams who are trying to play football. Um, yeah. You know, the likes of Mark Hughes, Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, they, they, they're nowhere to be seen anymore. Neil Warnock, obviously, he's back down at Middlesbrough. Um, the, but the thing is, teams playing football, I think that's more likely to benefit Liverpool and that's what I mean, yeah. Manchester City. Yeah, that's I think exactly it, it. it does the opposite for both teams. Exactly. So you get a team like Bournemouth, who if they're playing against Aston Villa, for example, um, or a team like Brighton who are playing against Aston Villa, or Crystal Palace, for example, they're comfortable on the ball, they won't get pressed necessarily, um, and, they, and, they, and they can sort of really use that. Whereas they come up against Liverpool, and, and, and if they're not willing to change the style of play, they are going to get caught. And I think that's why Liverpool are generally so dominant when you, when you look at, the results throughout the course of not just this season but but last season as well. They very rarely drop points against these sorts of teams. Um obviously we'll move on to Burnley, but Burnley is very much the polar opposite of that. And Liverpool have dropped points. And you know, traditionally Klopp sides have, have always struggled against Burnley. So you know, I, I, it's great to watch as a as a neutral. It's you know a sort of it's it's a world away. I mean Southampton for example they've They've, re- they've replaced Mark Hughes with, with Ralph Hassenhutl. You know, it's it's ridiculous. I thought Hutton was a good manager at Brighton, but, you know, Poster's clearly got something about him as well. Um, so these sorts of forward-thinking, progressive managers who are very keen to play out from the back and, and ball retention and that kind of thing, it plays into Liverpool's hands. Um, yeah. And I think the Brighton game was the perfect example of, of how Liverpool can... Can blow a team away without actually necessarily being mind blowing themselves. They, they just capitalised on on mistakes, forced mistakes, but still mistakes from from the opposition. Yeah, um, one thing we did get right in the, the preview of the match was we mentioned again. Apologies for the listeners, but those that are viewing on YouTube, hopefully you can see that. Um, that is Brighton's open play shot map against Liverpool. As you can see, what we mentioned, quite a few close to goal. But one thing we did say last week is that Brighton are the second least clinical team in the league when it comes to the number of shots they require to actually find a net. Brighton tends to average about, I think it was about 11 shots per goal, I think it is. And Liverpool, that was the most clinical in the league. I think Liverpool average about seven shots per goal. But the reason that I think we were right in saying what we said is those shots that you can see there, the ones that Gray actually missed the target. Um, 
and I, th I think if you look at the locations of them, you should be hitting the target with a few of them. I mean, obviously there's a, a bit of lack in context there in terms of the players around the ball. But of all those shots there, only the goal and one more inside the six-yard area actually hit the target there. Um, so I think we were, we were spot on when we mentioned about Brighton being the type of team that can attack, but you just can't really find the net. Um, I think it's certainly what we saw. And you did see that, didn't you, Chris? I didn't see it, but you visualised it for me perfectly, mate. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Don't worry. I've seen, I've seen the map anyway. Um, I just feel sorry for some of our podcast listeners. If you are listening on the podcast, please go onto our YouTube as well to have all of these accompanying graphics. Um, not quite at the stage yet where you can sort of somehow have these sensitive to via your headphones in front of your virtual reality. But hey ho, yeah. that, that, that might be in the future. Um, I think more pays an interest the one around that. I think he should have scored about 15 goals this season. Um, yeah. He's a really interesting player. Um, he's right up there as well in the league in terms of shots per 90. I think you think all oh, yeah. or shots in total or something it was. No, he it, it is. It's because Salah and Firmino are, are top... Um, there we go, there's the graphic. Can you see that uh, now, yeah? I can see that, yeah. For, for me, though, and Salah are, um, are in the top five, but Morpé and, and Jimenez uh, are also there, which, which is surprising. I think De Bruyne might be might be the other one. Um, so, yeah, that, that, yeah, I mean, that, that just goes to show there's, there's there's some really sort of decent chances there. Um, but this is, but what, again, this is what we said, you know, we, we expected them to, when they get these types of chances, which they're not that bad at creating, they just can't finish them. Yeah. Um, I think they're a bit reliant on more pay and I think if Glenn Murray was a few years younger maybe he'd be putting these away but you know I'm not sure he's particularly suited to what they're doing now be interesting to see if, if this is underperformance from him or um, if he's just not a very good finisher ultimately it'll be interesting to see he's only 23 isn't he so um... yeah. uh, one thing to elaborate on regarding the shots you just mentioned there uh, Mohamed Salah I thought he was Really, really good on the day. He actually had eight shots on the day. 19 minutes, eight shots. Mm. And he also registered two shot assists, which means he's essentially contributed 10 shots to Liverpool's performance. And we had 20 in total. So 50% of the shots that Liverpool had were basically as a result of the threat Mohamed Salah posed. So, yeah, it was one of games where he, I think he's joy to watch when he's like that, when, when he's really, really hungry. And he's just in amongst Everton. It's it just epitomises the um, the output merchant phrase that we kind of fashioned on this show a, a while back. Um, yeah, he's one of the most threatening players in the league. And he's like that. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think we we we'll move on to this a little bit with the Burnley game as well. But you know, I noticed in in terms of shots, um, it was the highest in the Premier League season from them. Um, he only had more shots against uh, Man City, and that was over 120 minutes. That was 10 shots, and he had um, he had nine shots against Salzburg, um, away, um, which is just absolutely... yeah, I mean, you scored from the waist angle, ever in that match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and honest, it, shots. Sorry, go on. I was going to say it'd be interesting to see how many players in the Premier League this season have had a one-off match where they've taken more than eight shots because I don't yeah. think there'll be many. Eight shots is a lot for, for one game. It does feel like there's, that's a hell of a lot. Five on target as well. Um, yeah. Obviously, Michael Antonio had four on target against Wolf, but 
that's a little bit <laughs> that's a little bit out of there. But again, for shots and targets is also his um is his best of, of the season in all competitions. Um and an XG of, of one goal. Um so obviously he will perform in that sense. But he, he, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think people can can get caught up with this lazy narrative around you know, selfish seller, but the, the, I don't think it's sort of. I, I don't feel like this is a. This isn't him going rogue. This isn't him saying, you know, to hell with all of my teammates. I, I'm going to, you know, basically try and score because I want the golden boots. I think this is a, is a very clear instruction from Klopp. Where there are certain games where he's more involved in the build up and the ball carrying and that kind of thing, and there are, there are other games where. He's massively just there to to be involved in in the output, um, and this was one of those. And you know, sort of, I'll, I'll mention this a little bit more, and we we'll talk about Burnley. But you know, as I said, there eight shots for Salah against Brighton, five on target. But in terms of carries, he only had twenty nine, which is in his bottom half of the season. In terms of attempted dribbles, he only had two, which is, again, bottom half this season. In terms of passes attempted, 34, and that's around about mid-table for what he's done this season. So I suppose, you know, in terms of touches even, you know, his highest in the Premier League was the Crystal Palace 4-0, 79 touches. The Brighton game, there was only 43. Mm. Um, and then finally, you know, pressures, um, which obviously I think... This is all from FB Ref slash stats bomb. By the way, his highest pressures wise is Man United, and that's thirty five. And you know he pressures loads against Chelsea with thirty, Arsenal with thirty, against Brighton it was only eleven. Now obviously that that's got to do with the the possession as well. You can't press pressure as much if the opposition don't have the ball. But I think the point here is that you know there is a clear sort of. In this game, he is not there to sort of necessarily. I mean, I know he did create, but he's not necessarily there to pressure yeah, I mean, the ball, carry the ball. He's there to be the output machine to shoot and score. Yeah, he's there to basically finish moves. That's yeah, kind exactly. of what he plays for. Yeah, he's ultimately the striker. You know, we talk about Firmino, yeah. and, and we will talk about Firmino as, as the facilitator. But you know, ultimately, forget everything that you know around you know, formations and, and and what matches they put up on on the screen. You know he's a striker, and and that's what he's doing. You know he he's an out and out striker there, um, and it's interesting to sort of um you know we will talk about this when it with the Burn game, but it's interesting to see how you know more shots means that he has, he's less involved in other aspects of of the game. Yeah, I mean one one final thing on on the Brighton game, just one player on to flag that all impressive on the day, um, Leandro Trossard, uh, biggest threat for me, actually scored. The- Brighton, one of the goals for Brighton, four shots as well, and one shot assist. So, yeah, I thought he was he's quicker than I was aware of, by the way. He, mm. In terms of his speed across the ground and that, I didn't realise he was that fast. And whenever I've seen him, whenever he's come on for Brighton or whatever this season, I've been impressed with him. So, I think he's one to keep an eye on. I'm going to just double check his age now. But he's he played that whenever I seen him. Oh, he's 25, I thought he was younger than that. Yeah, well, if he's 25, I mean, I can't see him making any moves to, to like a top six club. But yeah, he's just a player who was, was, was good on the day and he was, I think, caused problems. And that's not usually something that I say. He's a, he's a Genk player. <laughs> interesting. Um, we, know, we, we know all about Genk and, and the sorts of players they produce. I, I'll be honest, Brighton, Brighton, 
over the past couple of years, they've signed a bunch of wingers who I wouldn't know if I fell over them in the street to look at. <laughs> I feel like they're all the exact same person. Um, <laughs> You know, it's sort of Trossard, um, the, the the lad from from AZ, whose pronunciation of his name I won't butcher, um, but Yak 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 Shanabash or, or whatever his name is, um, it's Quadero. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's like it's like if you were to if you were to brand each player with a colour based on how he performs, every Brighton attacker would be the same colour, just a different shade. <laughs> exactly. That's it's exactly like that's how, that's what it feels like. It feels like they're all they all even look similar. Feels I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. All, all quick, quick, tricky, cuts inside onto their um onto the stronger foot. So to try and play balls inside, it, it just feels yeah, it's it's exactly that really. Um, but I he did funny that, though, that, I think it's funny though that they're, they're all quick and tricky and creative, but you none of them are real scorers, are they? Goal scorers. Um no, that's I think that's that, that's one thing we've captured there with the shot map and stuff and, and Brighton's finishing problems this season. They can attack no problem. In terms of putting the ball in the net. They can um they can certainly be a bit more clinical. But we we, we will move on anyway to Burnley. Bit of a less enjoyable game. Um obviously finished one all which was a surprise. And once you look at the numbers it's it's I think Safe to say it was it, we're unlucky for it to be a one all. Um twenty-four shots for Liverpool to five, nine shots on Tiger for Liverpool to two, seventy-five percent possession, which obviously doesn't mean anything until you pair it with the likes of shots and when when you've got seventy-five percent possession and you've got the twenty-four shots, and Liverpool posted an expected goals of two point one against Burnley's 0.7. Should have been a, a win, really. I think most weeks that ends up in a win. Um, and I think if Liverpool hadn't secured the title, I think we'd have probably put that one away, to be honest. But I think it was just one of the where Burnley just found a way to to be Burnley, basically. I mean, it was Burnley on the pitch, Burnley in terms of the underlying numbers, because, you know, both both, both me and you know, Josh, from the Burnley, you know, in depth sometimes, the next G is just it's a random number generator. Um yeah. you, you literally sometimes they sometimes they deal with the deal win the XG by about three goals and, and draw one one and sometimes they get absolutely hammered like they did in this game XG wise and, and, and draw one one. there's just no rhyme or reason to what Burnley do. Um mm. they're a real curious team. Um I'm just having a look here on, on understats at the moment. So I'm just gonna have a look at where they are and say as respected points. Um Again, the tenth, the, and they should be around mid-table still. So, so they're, they're overperforming, but not massively. Um, it's I just think they've, it, I think they've had the worst seasons in terms of um, the overperformance madness thing. But I think you're right in terms of usually expected goals correlates with your results. Usually, it, it gets your results fairly accurate. With Burnley, the expected goals could say something, and the, the result. Could be something completely different. It usually, if it's Burnley, they don't usually um, go with the performance in the cases for whatever reason, style of play, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, completely agree. So it's really hard to sort of look at them and 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 assess. I mean, to be fair, Klopp's always struggle might be a hard word, but it feels like Liverpool under Klopp of, apart from the final back in the uh, it was the last week of August this this season. They've, they've always had, had issues. This, this game reminded me very much of the um, 
the one one with Burnley back in 2017-18. In fact, I think the goal was was pretty much a carbon copy that they score, uh, from what I can remember. Liverpool went one nil down that day, and, and Salah scores straight away from kickoff to, to make it one one. But it, it, it's it, it it is just Burnley, and I do feel like that there is a situation where I think with the crowd behind them and with something more to play for, I think Liverpool probably do um, they do get the win there. That being said, you know I suppose worryingly for Liverpool, I thought the first half sorry the first hour. Um, Liverpool were fantastic, especially the first half hour. I thought they were they were absolutely fantastic. Um, again, one of the most enjoyable performances of the season, mainly because, or certainly since since the restarts occurred, because you know you know what Burnley are, you know how well drilled they are, and Liverpool a little bit like they did against Crystal Palace, just played so well, played around them, and uh, you know moved them from side to side, looked for the gap behind them. It was really sort of a, a great sort of problem-solving exercise, and, and and obviously to get uh, the, the goal through Robertson. But I suppose the last thirty minutes, it just felt like Burnley back into a little bit, um, and yeah, it, it, sometimes things defy any sort of analysis, which is obviously what you want to listen to on analysing Anfield. But it just felt like even in that game. As the game was progressing, you just felt like one goal wasn't going to be enough because Burnley are Burnley. Um, I thought Rodriguez was fantastic. I think he's a really good underrated player. Him, um, and ultimately, it's the first game in a long time where at Anfield, at least, where you've got away from it and felt like you were watching the Liverpool of old in a bad way. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, you can see that graphic. And yeah. Yeah, well, that, that is the Liverpool shot map on the day in terms of open play. And as you can see, there's six attempts there on targets inside the box. Uh, quite a few off targets as well. But I, I think usually six shots on targets inside the box, fairly central locations as well, according to that map there. That would be enough usually to to get you to win over Burnley. I think one one of the things it wasn't was because Nick Pope. I think Nick Pope had a great game. Um, yeah, just, I think he's a decent shot stopper. I think he's ideally suited to the kind of low block type thing that Burnley imposed. Um, also, it was interesting that Sadio Mane took two shots from outside the box during the game, which we don't usually see very often. Um, it seems like he was in more of a, a Salah type mood, really, to be honest. I think I think these two are here, both Mane, I think. Um, Bit more surprisingly greedy than usual, maybe you could say. I think one of the shots specifically, maybe maybe this one. I think around that time that one was taken. I think Salah was open here, um, and he had against making the pass. But yeah, I think I think Liverpool did enough on the day, but it's just one of those quite frustrating games where it, it didn't exactly go according to plan how it should have been. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I think it was another game though, and this is something I haven't talked about yet, and we probably should have. Firmino didn't score again, um, and we haven't. I, 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 maybe realised before when you mentioned it, we haven't actually addressed this. Not not one bit on Firmino not scoring at Anfield, Firmino the performance. So in the absence of Dave, we will tackle it now. So uh, I know you've got a few numbers on this, um, general thoughts and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I did a little bit of 
deep diving into uh, understat and i mean it should be pointed out this is just one model so it, it, it did vary slightly when you when you looked at fb ref and, and stats but on understat uh, they go back all the way to 1415 which is why i used them and from what i can see uh, and i am willing to be corrected here but from what i can see Firmino is currently having the most underperformed season from an attacker in the Premier League since 14, well, from, from when they, they started collecting this data in um, in 2014-15. So according to understat, so when we say about underperform, it's basically looking at his XG um, and how many goals he should have scored compared to how many goals he actually has scored. And this is a home and away we will talk about like the drought at home but you know the home and away um this season he is uh underperforming by 8.28 goals which is just absolutely mind-blowing um to put that into some sort of context just running through all of the, the numbers here uh 17 christian benteke was 8.17 uh 19-20 gabriel jesus was 7.13 just going to try and figure out a few more. Uh, 14 15 Graziano Pella was 6.62. Um, let's have a little look. Cameron Jerome, 5.22 in 15 16. Uh, Richarlison in 17 18, interesting, 5.66. Uh, there's a couple of Liverpool players on there as well. Um, Mario Balotelli in 14 15, um, 4.24. And also Solanke in 1718, 2.67. Um, so basically, I, I, we'll we'll um, we'll figure out a way. Maybe we can put this into an article or, or some sort of graph or something. But these are, you know, the, I pretty much picked out strikers slash attackers who underperform by at least two and a half goals over, over the course of the season. It is just really interesting to see just how many, you know. How 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 much Firmino has been under, underperforming? Um, names this season that that, that are also underperforming. So Jesus, as I said, seven point one three. Rashford two point eight two. Uh, Tammy Abraham three point one seven. Neil Morpe four point zero five. Neil um, Wood four point zero three. Yogo Jota four point seven nine. Benteke again, he, he he comes up a lot, Benteke, 2.63. <laughs> um, so it's 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 really, really interesting. It's it you know, the, the fact that he's going through such a, a bad run of form in front of goal, an unlucky run of form in front of goal. I don't know which way you want to look at it, Josh. But the other thing that, that's worth sort of mentioning on this is I suppose the two different ways you can you can analyze this in terms of is he just a, a really good player, which he is, of course, but in terms of in front of goal, having a bad season? Or is this sort of a start of decline? Is this something that he's going to have to sort of fix and, and, and figure out at some point heading into 2020, 2021? Um, because, you know, a player like Aguero in 16-17 underperforms by 2.67. You know, he's, he's a phenomenal player. Um you know, a player like Danny Ings last season underperformed by around about three goals, and, and look at what he's doing this season. Um, you know, the, the, the Jesus there, which incredible over the past two seasons, is underperformed by around thirteen goals, which is just points to maybe a, a problem with him. Mm. But you know, I, I don't know what you reckon, Josh. I just thought I'd flag those numbers. So yeah, ultimately over the past one, two, three, four, five, six seasons, 
Um, no players underperforming in front of goal more than Roberto Firmino. I think it's it, it's worth checking now. Maybe you can do it while I'm talking. Just checking yeah. Firmino's under slash overperformance in the Premier League since actually moving to Liverpool. Yeah. So rather than season by season, check it as a total. The reason I want to check that is it's simply because like the whole thing, you know, underperforming or overperforming expected goals is that the players that overperform expected goals over a really long period of time, say for example three years and, and they overperform every year, you generally get the general perception on that is, is usually okay, that player is an above average finisher. That player is just better than the average player when it comes to putting a shot in the back of the net. Um, trying to think players who've overperformed historically. I think Messi overperforms the year. Harry Kane's been an overperformer. Just play it. J- Jaden Sancho's doing it since he moved to Dortmund. That's about a season. That's about two seasons worth now. Um, the, but so these are just gone. Two point two eight underperformance since he joined the school. In the Premier League, yeah, overall. Okay. Yeah, that's not that's not too too bad. Um but I think I think generally if you if you're looking at the opposite side when a player's overperforming, he's considered as a good a good finisher. If a player's underperforming over a long period, he's kind of perceived as the opposite, you know, not, not the best finisher basically. Bringing in the eyes here and the eye test with Firmino. I would be inclined to say I don't I don't think he's the best finisher. I don't think he's the best at putting putting shots away. Um some of the some of the approaches he takes he takes to actually shooting, I'm a little bit surprised by he, 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 some of the attempts he has they're quite maverick, they're quite they're quite um unorthodox attempts. The way he strikes or you know like say for example, I think Salah's first goal for Liverpool against Watford. Do you remember the three all? Yeah. Um I think Firmino gets the assist for that, but I think Firmino shoots there personally. But his shot is kind of like a, a dink over Ben Foster. And it's going wide. But it's just when you're presented with that opportunity to go for that as your means of finishing. I just thought, and to be unorthodox, as I said, you know, when we beat City 4 3 at Anfield, he went for the same lob over Edison. It went in this time. But yeah, he's just a bit of an unorthodox finisher. And this is hopefully you can see this. Can you see this? No. No, can't see it. Right, I've another go Keep going because because I, I'm sort of I'm, I'm, because obviously you know to, to peel back the fourth wall here, we're very much off script here and and, and googling things. Uh, I'm gonna have a look at Firmino's goals a little bit because it feels to me as if he is a striker. And I always thought this about Robbie Keane going back years. Is he a sort of striker? There we go. This is working now. Um, is he the sort of striker who benefits from instinct? So I'm thinking mm. about some of his great goals. I mean, he scores great goals. So let, let's let's go through go through his goals this season um, just really, really quickly. I mean, it would probably be just as good, and this is probably an article for you at some point, Josh, but going through his misses. But the Southampton goal, it's pretty much a... I can't really remember it. Um, the Burnley goal, the Burnley goal is quite instinctive. You know, so he picks it up edge of the area, and Amham is at home. The Chelsea goal, 
is a header with inside the six yard box. The Crystal Palace. I mean, this probably correlates with what what you're showing there. Uh, the Crystal Palace goal. Um, again, that's sort of a a bit of a um, ricochet in the box. He obviously scores against against Monterey. Sort of an instinct flick. Flamengo is not necessarily instinctive, but he's only got. He's, he, it's sort of that bit of individual brilliance. Um, the two Leicester goals again, a, a quick header where he doesn't have to think about it, and the, the second where he sort of drops the shoulder. Um, so basically, without sort of going on and on and on, they are sort of. It'd be really interesting to look at the sort of goals because it feels to me as if he's a very impulsive sort of striker where he just feels the moment. I don't think he's got a, a certain go-to finish, if you will. We all know about. Yeah, I, mean, that's, the, that's, I think that's what I was getting at. Yeah, maybe. The great thing about Salah is that he's got every type of finish. He's got the kick, he's got the ding, he's got the, the drive, he's got all of that sort of thing, you know. But but with for me, you know, it just feels like he's he's also just just he just does whatever he feels, you know. A couple of those goals I've, I've sort yeah. of mentioned there. Even thinking about the Tottenham away goal and the Wolves away goal, the both sorts of they come to him quickly. He drops the shoulder, and he just rifles it home, sort of beyond the keeper. That's the mm. sort of thing where. He's not really forced about it. He's just gone for it, and it's gone in. And I just wonder if he's that type of player where he he thrives, where he's not got much time to think about things, and it's just that instinct. And you know, he sort of if he's got too much time, if he's one on one with the keeper, for example, he might fluff his lines. But if there's a situation where he's he's sort of got that chance to to basically he's got a split second to the side, am I going to take him on or am I going to have a shot? He does it, and it, and, and it benefits. Yeah, I mean, looking at those attempts there, that that's his open play shot map this season. I'd be interested to watch these two back <laughs> because I don't know how on earth from that close he's actually missed the target. Never mind, never mind, not put the ball in the net. Let me um, see if I can get it up on on the stat. Uh, yeah. One is one is against West Ham where he apparently hits the post from a header. I think I remember that. I think that's the one where he's like back post and somehow. Okay. Managed to hit the post. And then there's one against Norwich on the opening day of the season, so you'd be forgiven for not remembering that. Left foot, shot onto mm. the post. An extra, so that XG there is 0.69. Um, and likewise, the, the one from the corner against West Ham is 0.69, um, yeah. which is just remarkable. Well, I, really. I, think, I think, obviously, you don't know which one's ahead is there, but I think there's a fair few around the locations central in and around the penalty spot in the six-yard box where it's different if the headers, but for me, he looks like he should be hitting the target with a few more of those. Mm. I think that's reasonable to say. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think people have got people have got a point. I mean, if you, if you look at his conversion rate this season, which isn't isn't a bulletproof way of measuring, you know, whether the striker can finish or not, but Mohamed Salah's striking uh, conversion rate 16.3% this season in the Premier League. Sterling, 20.4%. De Bruyne, 11.8%. Mane, 24.2%. Kane, 18%. And then you've got Firmino, 8.7%. He's converted 8.7% of the shots he's taken. Um, and I think you mentioned earlier that he's actually in the top five in the Premier League for shots, um, which is, it's just, 
it is it is odd because you know a lot of the arguments to uh, support him is that that's not his role, and he's it, you know he's a, he's essentially a number ten and all that sort of stuff, which is true. But then if he's if he's in the top five in the league for shots taken, that kind of conflicts with that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a weird one. I mean, the fact that he's got an underperformance of of only two goals since he came to Liverpool suggests he's probably an average finisher, may, maybe a tiny, tiny bit below average, but n- not much worse than that. But this season just seems like a bit of a bit of an anomaly, really. I mean, I, I don't even know what you put it down to, to be honest. I mean, make no mistake as well. If we to say that average around Liverpool is, is, let's say, underperformed by two or three goals, that's still a that's still a thirteen fourteen goal season, um, which is really impressive. He's bob on in terms of assists. He's he's, he's you know in terms of expected assists. His xG per ninety is zero point five one, um, which is up there with. I mean, in terms of. Let's just have a look here. You've got Iniacho, who obviously doesn't play. Let's say uh, anyone who's played above a thousand minutes, you've got Jamie Vardy, you've got uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, interestingly, and then you've got Roberto Firmino. Um, oh, there's yeah. a few more, actually, sorry, as well. You've got Aguero, Abraham, Rashford, Antonio, Salah, Sterling, Wood, and that's it. So you've got... And, and Jesus. God, Jesus' numbers are terrible. Um <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a Brazilian thing, but yeah, you know he's 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 yeah. he's ten twelve for that for that metric as well. He, he should. It's it, it's it is interesting. I mean, even the one against Burnley, and I suppose this is why we're talking about it. It's on his it's on his weaker foot, but he scuffs it, doesn't he? And he's got he's got a little bit of time to think about what he's got to do. And it's just yeah. sort of to go near, to go far post, to to put me lace through it, to put back onto my right foot. It's just, yeah, it's, it'd be really interesting if, if any of our listeners slash viewers want to do it, to go on one of those Firmino compilations um, and just basically have a look at all of his goals and see if there's any sort of pattern because I do wonder if that's the case. Yeah, can you see a shot map again there? Yeah, yeah. One thing I want to flag is that, you know, one of the one of the ways in which a player will underperform his expected goals is if, for example, he gets presented with a really clear-cut chance clear cut shot and he misses um, and if you look at the number of shots that Firmino's had close to goal in and around here say for example the penalty spot sort of thing I, I, only the stars are goals so fair, fair enough he's at, he's, at, he's at the target a few times with the like of these here but he's not, he's not even scored from there like I, I think a lot of the underperformance probably stems from when he's presented with shots close to goal, he doesn't seem to put them away. Whereas some of his goals here, like this one, this one, this one, this one, they're, they're all a little, a little tiny bit further away from the goal. So that one on the left, for example, I think is the Tottenham one. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think, I think a lot of his overcomes probably stem from the amount of opportunities he gets close to goal mm-hmm. that, he, that he doesn't put away. They'll they'll be valued as high xG chances, but he's not finishing them, so he's 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 losing a lot of um. Say for example, just these two here are probably worth more than one goal, and he's, he's he hasn't even hit the target with either of them. So straight away there, you've got an underperformance of about maybe one point two, just off them two shots, and if he keeps doing that with shots close to goal, he do add up in the end. 
So what, what, um, what do you feel? What do you feel like the answer is? I mean, is it? Does he improve? He's twenty eight now. Does it? Does he improve, Josh, or is it a case of, you know, it, it, should he start looking for an upgrade? Because you can't get a player who does what he does and get into those positions. Surely, surely it's a good thing that he is getting in those positions. It's just a case of trying to, you know, trying mm. to make him finish when he gets in those positions. I think one of the reasons that we haven't spoken about on this part is probably because I'm not worried about it. Um, it's never been much of a concern, and that's usually that's just because these streaks tend to happen. You just tend to go, you run hot, then you run cold. So I think this is a bit of an extended period of run cold, but it's not a massive concern mainly because, and this again feels like a bit of a cop out, but there's 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 two other players in the team who are more responsible for putting the ball in the net than he is. So providing they keep doing it. I think it's it, it's not something that's overly concerning. Um, if Firmino was was your Aguero, for example, it'd be a bit more of a worry. But because 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 of the extra the extra stuff that Firmino does, I think Mourinho said once that these strikers who when they when they don't score, they offer nothing. I think Firmino's the opposite in that regard. That when Firmino doesn't score, he still offers all kinds and various other departments and stuff like that. So. And he's he's not going to stop doing that. So for me, you just keep playing, you keep persisting. I'm not sure if it's something that you mentioned to him or not. Clock will know more about that sort of thing. It is weird, but I don't I'm know. Just be looking there as well, Josh. You know, I'm, I'm I'm on white now, and you can you know toggle between home and away. He's actually his xG is is higher at home. So it, I mean that's that's just. I I think that I don't think there is a thing around Anfield. I think it's probably just a. It's one of those weird quirks, but yeah, in terms of XG, is XG at home should be, um, if we go on, let's just have a quick look, if we go on per 90, uh, 0.48 per 90 uh, uh, at home, um, and away, it's 0.37. So he, he scored all of his goals away. He's probably overperforming yeah. away, which is incredible. Um, it, it, is, it is a really strange thing. Um, the only reason I was on White Scout there is because I, I do want to just try and take a look here uh, at these chances. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to sort of see, so I can try and describe them to you. Um, but I don't think it's it's, it's going to work. Um, that's, that's the reason I was on. Hold on, I, I might be able to do this. Um, I've got the first one up here. This is riveting for our listeners, by the way. I'm, I am really sorry about this. Um, it's the first one against Norwich. My God. Yes, it's the one. Do you remember the one where Trent pulls it back? And if he, he, the ball gets stuck under his feet, oh, I think so. And he sort of he sort of spins onto his left foot, I think um, so, yeah. which is incredible. Um, please search them out, listener. It, it it is incredible. Uh, and I'll just have a quick look at this one as well. I mean, look this this West Ham game just really quickly. Um, five shots long on target. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. Can you, see the, can you see the viz I've got up there? Yes, I can see that. So I'm not sure if this offers more to it, but that, that's his shot placement map. Um, and on your left side of the dash, if you like, that, that means he's scored. And on the right side, see, for example, this one here, that means one goal from scored in that zone of the goal. 13 shots on target in that zone of the goal. 
So as you can see, he is very inclined to hit straight down the middle. Um, maybe he should maybe he needs a bit of encouragement to start trying to find the corners, but then maybe he is and they're not registering because obviously they wouldn't show up on a goal to show up as as going wide. So I don't know. This is just another little another little tool that we've got that I thought could maybe add something, but. That, that that would tell me that he's that he's hitting a lot down the middle, but you know, as I just said, we also know he's 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 missing a few from from close to goal. So I don't know. It's brilliant. It's I mean, it's an off obviously for him, and, and, and it's those things where I think Liverpool were not Premier League champions, and they were engaged in a really tight battle with Manchester City. I think there'd be more questions asked. To be fair. Um, and you point towards a player like me, you know, and go, well, he's, you know, whether or not he's a nine or a ten, he he, he is someone who's meant to be scoring goals, and he's he's not scoring the, the number he should be for the positions he's getting in. Um, maybe it was that Norris chance on the first day. Maybe it's Kirsten for the rest of the season. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's the kind of thing I I wouldn't be that concerned about purely because I wouldn't expect it to continue. Really, uh, it's one to watch. Uh, I'm not sure how long it'll take for them to kind of revert to the mean sort of thing. But that's usually what happens to players who are at least a good standard. It's but, fine anyway. He's, he's, he's got Kepa in his last Anfield game. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be absolutely fine. Get, get your off of me. I think he's already scored against Kepa this season. He has, he has. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have, to, we'll have to press on. We'll have to press on towards Arsenal, I think. Preview Arsenal. Um, maybe we can re- revisit that Firmino's thing at some point. But yeah, Arsenal do remind me of Liverpool five years ago. And what I mean by that is Liverpool about five years ago could pre- perform well on the whole for 90 minutes. But they wouldn't get the results because they'd shoot themselves in the foot. And they'd do that by a stupid mistake by a defender or a goalkeeper. Or they'd concede from a set piece, and Arsenal keep doing exactly really. Absolutely agree. It, it feels like they are in a. I think they've. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put them where they are with. I don't want to sort of make these comparisons as a, as a direct one, but I feel like they had the end of their Rogers reign with with Emery. Um, mm, yeah. I, I'm not saying Arteta is Klopp, but but it feels like now is the. Is the start of the, the 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 not the revolution, but sort of just sort of trying to get them back onto some sort of level footing with with with, with teams that they've been there with in the past. Um, yeah, you look at the Tottenham game for example. Um, you know, teething game, and then it's ultimately a, a mistake by Kalasenac last Louise, and then some poor set piece defending, and, and and they've lost two on to a to a Tottenham team who are not really. Anything special, anything to raise home about. So I think it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting game. I think they're they're an interesting team. I think someone like Aubameyang is really confounding the common consensus. I think people say he come for a payday would float in and out um, because obviously he was flirting a little bit with China, so the, the assumption would be he's very much looking to get paid more than anything. Um, but on saying that, I think he's a talisman. I think he's a he's a he's a really good player. I think the problem Arsenal have got is that you you want to build the squad around him, but I think he's thirty now, maybe even thirty one. So mm. You can't really do that 
In fact, if you're looking at actually starting a proper rebuild, given the, the financial situation that we're in at the moment, you may be looking if, if there is a team that's willing to, to, to throw a bit of cash around on that, you know, given his, his resale value is only going to drop dramatically in the next couple of years, you may be cashing on him. Um, which again is is a little bit sort of not not quite the same, but where Liverpool were at with with like let's say a a Suarez or a, not necessarily a Sterling, but you know Arsenal mm. at the moment feel like a bit of a selling club. So yeah, they're, they're an interesting team. I, I don't want to draw parallels with Liverpool five years ago off the field, but I think on the field it's very very similar. I think it is a it's just yeah the perpetual shooting yourself in the foot, and, and until you stamp out these fundamental errors, until you get rid of uh, the situation where Dejan Lovren's making eight mistakes in, in a season or Martin Skittles, the, the, the lead for mistakes. It, it, not stamping that out with Louise, Kalastanach, Mustafi, who to be fair has been all right since the restart. Um, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So there's a, there's a big job there for Arteta to do. There's been some interesting glimpses, but nothing out of the ordinary, I would say, after, after a new manager comes in. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, just for a bit of context on Arsenal, Having a tendency to kill them, kill ourselves basically is um, they've conceded twenty about twenty five goals this season from open play in the Premier League, but they've also conceded eight from corners, five from set pieces, and six from penalties. So that you know that's a lot of goals that like to, to kind of I view them as kind of like additional goals that come outside of maybe what you would usually. I don't know what what you picture when you when you when you think of two teams playing, you know, the, the concept, the open play contest on the pitch, how how both teams match up and stuff like that. Whereas all those dead ball situations are just kind of like extras that a lot of managers in class overlook. That's a set piece. That's really the set piece of the game, isn't it? It's it's a set piece. Yeah, yeah, but that's it. I think Arsenal are just really inclined to suffer from them, um, and I think I think they're actually. They're a decent team in terms of competition on the pitch. I think they're well, they're well coached under Arteta at least. I mean, he's obviously as well coached as you can be in, in, in the space of about four or five months working with them. But yeah, I just I just think that they're inclined to suffer from, despite performing well and despite probably being competitive with Liverpool for 90 minutes. I think if Liverpool is a win, and ask mainly if, if Arsenal is a lose or, or, or a suffer, I think rather than the being something that Liverpool do, it I think it's going to be something that Luis does or Mustafi or Kalasanac or it, it, I feel like there's a, there's a big list of them. Um, or it could be it could be from a corner. You know, Liverpool we know work on set pieces. Arsenal, I'm not sure they've got around to that yet, but with Arteta, um, the tenth in the Premier League this season according to expected goals. Um, 14th for shots. That, that, that means that 13 other teams that, that have took more shots so far than Arsenal in the Premier League. Which is shot merchants as well. So God knows what it uh, is they came out. Yeah, I'll double check that now. But I mean, I grew up with, I grew up watching TA on Rain and, and, and those teams. So to think Arsenal have now dropped back to the, or arguably the 14th most threatening team. Attacking the league is, is quite mad. Just looking at Young's numbers this season here in the Premier League, he's averaging about 2.7 shots per 90. That's not that much. 
Harry Wilson's had more. Sorry again. Harry, Harry Wilson's had more. Has he? <laughs> <laughs> Lacazette, do you know what? Lacazette, Lacazette's got more than him. So that's interesting. He's on about 2.8. Yeah. Um, to be fair to Lacazette as well, he can finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but since Arteta came in, Arsenal are ninth for expected goals and ninth for expected goals against. I'm not surprised he hasn't made a, a big impression in terms of results or anything like that. It's, it's not one of them jobs where you can come in and start immediate, immediate return like that. You need to start working with this group and changing the direction completely, I think. So I do think he's good, but I don't think he's... I think he's still got a bit to do. But on Arsenal, I can't help expecting a really tough match. I think that they're going to be really well drilled without the ball especially. But I think Liverpool... We'll get something probably a win purely because I don't trust Arsenal to, to not do something detrimental to themselves in 90 minutes. Well, you look at the 3 1 at Anfield as well. So the first goal comes from a set piece, which Matip scores. The second goal comes from a penalty. Um, and then the third goal comes from David Luiz diving in at the touchline for, for zero reason. Seller just yeah, away and score. That's a perfect so, example. Yeah, that, 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 that is pretty much. Arsenal 2019-2020. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it'd be interesting to see what Liverpool do in terms of A, the way they approach the game, um, and, and B, you know, sort of the, the team that they put out because it does feel like you could really swamp that midfield, especially if they play three at the back. That that pretty much leaves only a, a two-man midfield there. Um, obviously, the you know, sort of the wide players will tuck in and, and help out there as well, but it, it does feel like it, it's a real... It's got to be, let's say, the Ceballos and uh, Xhaka. It feels like Liverpool can really get around those, pressurise them, um, yeah, and give them, give them a, a, a really tough evening. Yeah, I think I think Ceballos' debut was against Burnley at the Emirates. I remember watching him and thinking he's a really classy midfielder. And he came to one field and he just didn't have the legs. He was just shattered after an hour. Wouldn't get anywhere near the likes of Henderson and players who were in his face and had more stamina than him and stuff like that, basically. Um, and I think if Arsenal play a back three again, which they did against Spurs, I think there's... If they want to play a back three and they want to kind of play a bit of a proactive game, which I'm assuming they will under Arteta and considering they're at home, that could leave the potential of a back three as opposed to a back five and that could leave... You know, Saramani from you know up against Mustafi, Louise, Kalasanich, which feels like you know if you're an Arsenal fan, feels like a nightmare, doesn't it? It feels ominous, really. No, I go along with that. I feel like in terms of a matchup, it it does feel like even the even the even the fullbacks, you know, all the wingbacks, however you want to look at it, wide midfielders, um. They're going to have a lot of a lot of that. Minutes is going to backpedal. I feel like in terms of trying to help track um, Salah and, and Mane, um, it does. It I mean, feels like I was going to say maybe Arteta will go along the same route as he did against Manchester City. First game back, he played Manchester City, didn't he? After the restart, mm-hmm. and Arteta basically fielded the team that had the most legs. He fielded in Kessier, Saka. Joe West, I think, played. It was just a team of kids, and he he was really willing to to uh, sacrifice quality for for legs 
and 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 the physical capacity and the work rate and all that sort of stuff to just keep up with the man competing in terms of quality. Just just kind of like keep a defensive um, robustness sort of thing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether he plays as he did against Spurs, you know, with, with Lacazette in the team, Pepe in the team, and or whether he'll kind of respect Liverpool as he did respect City and, and play a load of legs as opposed to quality. I think ultimately as well, I mean, obviously there are things to play for um, because the higher up the team you get, the, the, the more money you get and that kind of thing. But, you know, Arsenal are very much in the realm here of... Friendlies? Yeah, throw, throw whatever at the wall and see what sticks. Um, obviously, they don't want to finish sort of bottom half or anything like that. I don't think that will happen. But, you know, likewise, I suppose the, the four points off, now that we know about Man City, the four points off seventh will be enough for Europa League. Um, so, but then, you know, could that, could that, would that set a benefit from, from a season, a bit like Liverpool again, to go back to the comparison, would that set a benefit from a season out of Europe? Where he could sort mm. of get his scores, and you know, don't think it would. I don't think Europa League changes recruitment that much. Um, so it'll, oh. it'll just be interesting. Obviously, they got the, the carrots of finishing above Tottenham, but you know, I, I just feel like you know, they've they've won they've, they've only won one game more than the Newcastle this season, which is just absolutely yeah. bonkers. But they've lost, but, but they've lost they've the lost. same as City. Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. So in terms in terms of a, a verdict then, so we, we we can round up and stuff like that. What what do you expect in terms of? I mean, it's 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 been tricky lately doing this with Dave because this a different Liverpool has been turning up each week really. Um, understandably so, I suppose, but it's difficult to predict. But you know, what do you think? I, I think yeah, this this Liverpool eventually, and I think this is something that we can look into. Um, Later on, in terms of writing or even on a, on a podcast, but I feel like Liverpool have just abandoned the idea of defending a bit, which which I'm bang into because it's 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 a lot of fun to watch. Um, look, look everyone into a false sense of security and make them feel like the defense is is, is creaking, and then can see about seven next season. Um, and yeah, it is hard because of that. I think Liverpool will probably win. I think they'll probably win the odd goal in five. I think they'll win maybe three two. Um, right. I think there'll be goals. I think Aubameyang up against a less than I don't know. I'm not saying they're not motivated. I mean, you only have to look at the, the clips of Robertson and Trent after the Burnley games to see how much they care about not winning. And um, when they were talking to the referee, but I just think Aubameyang might get a bit of joy outside of uh, down Liverpool's right hand side. Um, yeah, I, I I think it'll be maybe a three-two win, maybe a two-two draw or a three-two win to Liverpool. I, I'd expect goals. Yeah, I I was thinking two as well, but I think just because of the odd match I've watched of Arsenal, Arsenal, particularly without the ball, I'm gonna I'm gonna say one all. I think, um, just because I expect it to be a tricky contest in terms of competition on the field when it comes to set pieces and penalties and mistakes and all this. If that happens, it will benefit Liverpool, and Liverpool will win two-one or something like that. But if Arsenal can eradicate that for, for ninety minutes, I think it could be a draw. This, even though Liverpool, I think, need to now win every match to get the hundred points. Um, the two draws and a win. Sorry, two wins and a draw will get them a hundred, but only okay. three wins will get them the 
the record. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I'm gonna say one all. Yeah. So um, yeah. Thanks for joining us anyway, Chris. That's very bad. Thank you. Hope I've got the seat warm. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see you in next week. We will be welcoming uh, the Evertonian back. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week anyway to, to preview the final two matches of the season, I assume, and look back at Arsenal, which hopefully we will win. So thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.